Hello everyone and welcome back to the Football Tribute Podcast. My name is Thomas Turning and today I am joined by my co-host Pierce McLaughlin. Hello, how are you doing? Pierce. I'm doing well. On today's podcast we'll be discussing last weekend's English Premier League and Scottish Premier League results. We'll also be reacting to uh, last weekend's English Carabao Cup final. Uh, discussing uh, uh, the decision between Bayern and Thomas Tuchel. And at the end of the podcast, Pierce will be giving a rundown of all the latest Asian football news. <clears throat> so we'll start off with the uh, English Premier League results from last weekend. So on Saturday, 24th of February, uh, the, the results were Aston Villa 4, Nottingham Forest 2, um, Brighton 1, Everton 1, Crystal Palace 3, Burnley 0, Man United 1, Fulham 2, AFC Bournemouth 0, Man City 1, Arsenal 4, Newcastle United 1. And then on Sunday, 25th of February, there was one match, which was Wolves 1, Sheffield United 0. And then finally, on uh, Monday, the 26th of February, there was one match, which finished West Ham United 4, Brentford 2. So, Pierce, which match from these set of results stands out to you the most? Uh, yeah, so there's also a few results for me, but I think the standout for me has got to be the Arsenal 4, Newcastle United 1 uh, at the Emirates. Um, I feel as if Arsenal in a really rich vein of form at the moment would have now uh, notched up six consecutive wins in the Barkers Premier League. Um, and since the turn of the year, they've actually scored more Premier League goals than Manchester United this season, which is a damning statistic, and it just shows you how prolific and efficient they are in the Premier League. Um, also, they've had a defeat sandwiched in the Champions League to Porto um, last time out. But no, I think Arsenal are really rich for in the form at the moment. And uh, obviously Newcastle are struggling a wee bit with injuries. Any day who's under a bit of pressure, so it kind of goes hand in hand. Arsenal aren't doing really well at the moment, whereas Newcastle are kind of really struggling to pick up results. And I think obviously the other um, positive we've got to touch on is um, Oliver Glasner's debut in the Premier League. Don't think it go any better. Three 0 at home. First Crystal Palace against Burnley, um, and it just shows you a couple of fullback score, um, and obviously Mateta gets one for the penalty as well. So it just shows you his influence on the team already, and um, they've already got a positive result, and maybe it's a, a sign of things to come, um, in terms of the Premier League and Oliver Glasner, who's another exciting manager that's added to the uh, the Premier League. And I think the final result for me has got to be the Manchester United 1, uh, Fulham 2. Uh, Manu again um, had Rasmus Hoyland out for injury and the front line looked bleak. Um, he's been carrying them the last couple of, last couple of weeks. And they just, looked, they just looked lost and they didn't really create an awful lot of opportunities. And um, Fulham, I thought, throw deserved a victory. Um... Manchester United got a late equaliser through Harry Maguire and then virtually the last kick of the game um, counter-attack situation Adam Trory up against Harry Maguire there's only one winner, Adam Trory um, because Harry Maguire's got no pace whatsoever and then they just punish him right at the end through Alex Iwobi um, and it's just this rollercoaster Manchester United this season where they're just up and down with results and um, losing at home to Fulham is just not, it's not really a shock to supporters that watch Manchester United week in, week out. And uh, for me, those three are the standout results for the last weekend in the Premier League. Um, 
Yeah, so my standout result is the Man United one for the two match. Um, nowadays, it's not really a surprise, to be honest, to see Man United losing at Old Trafford. Um, but I, I think that was Fulham's first one at Old Trafford in quite a long time. Uh, and they actually deserved to win. Uh, you know, they, they played really well on, on the day. And Man United, I think a lot of people thought that kind of turned a corner, but it seems to be that they haven't really. Um, and I think there's going to have to be a decision at the end of the season as to whether Eric Ten Hag stays next season or not, because obviously now they've got the, the new owners, well, the new football department, we'll say, and they'll probably be watching closely to see if Eric Ten Hag's the right man. And But that's my standout match from the from the weekend, but then obviously touching on Arsenal, another really impressive win. Uh, you know, since the sort of winter break in England, they've come back and they've been amazing. They've scored a whole amount of goals. Uh, and they've hardly conceded many goals as well. So they're right in the title race. And it's, um, you know, it's a really impressive result against the Newcastle side, as you said, that are struggling at the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on one more result, which was the last night's result, which was West Ham 4. Uh, Brentford too. Quite a big one that was for David Moyes because he's under a lot of pressure at the moment. Uh, we don't we don't know if he's going to stay next season or not. Uh, a lot of West Ham fans aren't too happy at the moment. Uh, and that was West Ham's first win uh, in 2024 in the league. So um, that was a really impressive result for them. And Jared Bowen got a hat-trick as well. I think that was his first uh, hat-trick in the Premier League as well. So that was impressive. Um, but my standout result from yesterday... Uh, sorry, from the weekend was uh, my United one, Fulham two. Uh, so we'll move on now to the Carabao Cup final. So on Sunday, the 25th of February, uh, Chelsea and Liverpool played in the Carabao Cup final and the result finished 1-0 uh, Liverpool. Uh, that was an extra time header from Virgil van Dijk uh, that meant that Liverpool won uh, the Carabao Cup in what is Jurgen Klopp's Farewell tour. Um, so, Pierce, I just want to start off by asking, what did you think of the match and do you think that Liverpool deserved to win? Um, I thought the match was very entertaining, um, to say the least. Uh, I thought there was chances at both ends. I thought um, both, chances, both teams created countless chances and I thought the goalkeepers and defences were on top. Um, because Liverpool and Chelsea hit the woodwork a number of times, um, and then in the first half you had Raheem Sterling scoring against Liverpool, his former side, but it was ruled out for offside for Cole Palmer, uh, which was a tight decision, and then obviously, in the second half you had Virgil Van Dijk scoring from a set uh, set piece which Andy Robertson delivered, but it was ruled out for offside because of the interference of Wataro Endo, um, which I think is. A wrong decision because he was he, he just stood still, um. But regardless, Liverpool they went on to the extra time and they looked the strongest. Um, I think the Chelsea players tired, and and the experience of the Liverpool players and uh, the youngsters that he had in the side as well, uh, proved pivotal. But I think obviously the the two standout players for me were got to be Virgil Van Dijk and um, a special mention to um Kelleher in goals. I thought he was outstanding. Um, made countless saves, very crucial saves at key times. 
and just shows you why um, he is Liverpool's number two. Um, and if it wasn't for someone like Alisson, he would be a mainstay in that side for Liverpool. Um, but it's because Alisson's out of this world and he makes worldly saves. Um, but I think he's a, a very good number two and I think Liverpool struggle beyond the summer to keep a hold of him because with performances like that and with him being an island internationalist, um, I'm sure there's a host of clubs looking at that performance and there'll be a lot of suitors keen on him. But um, for me, um, Van Dijk and Kelleher were the two standout players and for me it's got to be a brilliant send-off for uh, Jurgen Klopp. He, he looked really up for it, he looked energised um, and he looked absolutely delighted. And another victory in, at Wembley for uh, Jurgen Klopp and the could, potential quadruple is on in terms of the Premier League and obviously the FA Cup and the Europa League, which are in the latter stages of as well. Um, so it could be a very good uh, farewell for Jurgen Klopp, but um, the first of four, but um, who knows what's going to happen towards the end of the season for Liverpool, but no, they're on the right track at the moment. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, as you said, I thought it was a brilliant game. Uh, you know, um, lots of kind of action in the match. Um, you know, uh, lots of chances for both sides as well. I thought as well. Um, it was it could have went either way. Uh, you know, Liverpool came into this match with a host of injuries. You know, they had no Salah, no Allison, um, no Alexander Arnold, Shabotsly. I mean, I could go on. And Nunes, you know, that's a big, big chunk of first-team players that you have out injured. So when I was getting into this game, I was thinking that Chelsea, uh, you know, they seem to they have all the kind of first-team players fit. I thought that this is, I think they'll, they'll do it, but um, it didn't turn out that way. I thought Chelsea in the first kind of 90 minutes of the match uh, were were the better side. Uh, even the last 10 minutes of the match, I thought, I, I have no idea how Chelsea never scored. Uh, they had countless chances um, to kind of nick the game and win the cup, but they just didn't take them. And then the game goes into extra time. Liverpool bring their youngsters on. Um, and I don't know what happened to Chelsea. They just seemed to collapse in extra time. Um, and the Liverpool team were just growing in confidence. They, you know, the players that were really young, they, were, they came on and they built their own confidence. And, uh yeah, Virgil van Dijk gets his goal. You know, he got a goal disallowed in the second half um, of the 90-minute match, which I thought was harsh. I don't think... I thought he should have stood that goal. Um, but he ended up, um, you know, getting another chance and he, and he finished it. Um, so, for Liverpool, it's it's brilliant for them. Again, they win the Carabao Cup. That's twice now that Jurgen Klopp's won it. Um, and it's a great start to Jurgen Klopp's, so, as I said, sort of farewell tour. Um, you know, leaving Carabao Cup is still the top of the table. Um, you know, they're still in the Europa League and they're still in the FA Cup. So I should say the quadruple is on for them, but I don't think they'll do the quadruple, but um they've definitely got a chance of winning. Um well they're definitely try to win all the trophies. Um so we'll kind of see what happens um towards the end of the season. But then as why I touch on Chelsea, you know, um uh Gary Neville, I was just gonna ask you this case. So I think Gary Neville said that they were the billion pound bottle jobs. Um, I don't know what do you think about that. Do you think that was a bit harsh, or do you agree with him? Um, I think he has got a point. To be fair, maybe the 
the wording of it isn't the greatest. Um, but I do think obviously they have spent a billion pounds. But you look at Manchester United; they spent a billion pounds over a prolonged period, and same in Manchester City. But I think it's the calibre of players that Chelsea have brought into the building. A lot of them are really young. Um, the raw potential there, but they're probably for the next three, four, five seasons. But football, you don't have time. You need you need youngsters to blood in for the future, as well as having your experienced pros. But there's far too many youngsters in that, that team, and there's not enough experienced heads in, in, in amongst that Chelsea dressing room. And they let a lot of experienced players go, which in hindsight is probably not the smartest thing to do. Because a lot of them, as you've seen, like you mentioned in the game in terms of where they were at, they were on top for the 90 minutes just edging it over over Liverpool, had probably greater chances and probably kicked themselves so they didn't win it in an extra time because they don't have that experience of winning trophies. They don't have that experience of how to grind out the result that they've they've just felt a bit of pressure and they've just collapsed. Um, so I feel as if, look, and you always have that problem with Chelsea as well, who's going to score the goals? Because I think Nicholas Jackson's a striker, but he needs about six or seven chances before he actually scores one. Um, and I think that's the problem. I think they've not spent wisely, and I think Mauricio Pochettino is under a lot of pressure because you. Have to, I don't know if you've seen at the end of the game, we see the managers usually shake the the their owners' hands, and he just yeah. he just blank Ted Bowley. So that's it's not a great it's not a great look for him. Um, he might not be there beyond this the end of the season. His record isn't exactly great at the moment. Um, his stock's probably on on the lowest, but it's probably been in his managerial career. Uh, to date so I think Chelsea they're in a big mess they've got players on massive wages long contracts 8-9 years if players are on 200-300 grand a week and you're there you've got a guaranteed 8-9 year contract are you going to run for a brick wall for a manager I don't really think so and you're giving young players far too much money too early on so they're going to lose that hunger and desire of why they actually want to play football in the first place so I think it's it's just it's just a mess at Chelsea, and I do think Gary Neville is, is right in terms of they did bottle it in in a sense, but I think they just they just spent money poorly, and they've not got the right footballing people in charge of the recruitment because they're just spending money willy nilly on young talent rather than um, seasoned pros. Yeah, um, in terms of the word bottle job, I don't know. I- I thought it was a bit harsh, to be honest, because, I mean, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but with Chelsea, basically, at the end of the day, I mean, you said about football and you're not going to have time, but in Chelsea's case, it's just going to take time because the way that the the, new, the, the owners have come in, they've taken apart the whole team and they've bought a whole new, load of new players that are young uh, and they've got a new manager as well. And they're always going to have the tag a billion pounds because that's how much they've spent since the, the new owners have come in. So they're always going to have to deal with that. Um, but when you take if you take that billion pound out of it, uh, you know the players that are in that, that, that are in that squad, have all got talent and you know uh, th- th- there's a lot of potential in that squad. But they're all very young and they're all you know new like as well. They're, they're it's basically a new team, so it's going to take time. Uh, as you said, don't have any real leaders anymore in that team. You know, Asp- Aspen Quetta's left. Uh, you know, the likes of, um, you know, 
I know it's a bit far, but like Gary Cahill, for example, you know, your John Terry's, for example, they don't have any players like that in that team. So they're going to have to learn who's the leaders in that team and who are the leaders in that team. And now that's going to take time. Um, but then at the end of the day, it is Chelsea. They're a, they're a big football club. And, you know, fans, I don't know if they've got that patience to kind of, you know, uh, kind of wait and see if things are going to get better under Pochettino. But in terms of the match itself, I thought it was that I thought they missed a massive opportunity to win. I, I don't think they're ever going to win. I don't think they're ever going to get a better opportunity to beat Liverpool in a cup final with all the players that Liverpool had injured. Um, you know, you know, Liverpool finished the match with very young players who have hardly had any matches and they're playing in the final. Uh and Chelsea just they just couldn't get it over the line. You know, they had as I said, they had lots of chances. Um, they should have won it within 90 minutes in my opinion but they didn't and they got sucker punched by, in the end by Virgil van Dijk's header um, so in terms of what Guy Neville said I thought it was harsh uh, I understand where he's come from um, because I thought the opportunity they missed was massive because I felt if they'd won that cup then that could have helped them a lot but I thought it was pretty harsh but um, you know at the end of the day with Chelsea in my opinion it's just going to take time uh, so we'll move on now to uh, last week times Scottish Premier League results. So uh, I'll just quickly go through them. So on Saturday, the twenty fourth of February, uh, the matches finished: uh, Hibs two, Dundee one, Kilmarnock two, Aberdeen nil, Rangers five, Hearts nil, Ross County three, Livingston two, St Mirren two, St Johnston nil. And then on Sunday, the 25th of February, there was one match which finished Murrowell 1, Celtic 3. So, Pierce, which match stands out to you the most? There's a couple in, uh, in, in uh, the Scottish Premiership. Uh, I think probably the standout result has got to be Rangers 5, Hearts 0. Um, Hearts, before this game, were on a terrific run of form. They, t- they picked up more points than Celtic in 2024 so far. And they've been a really good virtually form under Stephen Naismith and Lord Shanklin spearheading that attack where they're just scoring goals for fun. Um but they were coming into Ibrox in high spirits and they left probably with their pants pulled down because I thought Rangers just absolutely terrorised them from start to finish and any little mistake that they made, they were punished because there was countless times in the first half, especially were slight passes or dilly dallying in the ball, Rangers were just countering, and then as soon as they countered, they were scoring from it. Um, and I think obviously you're looking at that the, the two new signings as well are scoring Diamandi and uh, Quartes. Um, and obviously with Dessa scoring a double as well. So you've and Fabio Silva, so you've got new signings scoring, and you've got Dessa's in a bit of form who was getting a bit of stick at the first part of the season for being for missing far too many chances and um, not mobile enough but Rangers are in form at the right time they're just picking up consistent results and they're maintaining that two point gap at the top of the table and then obviously on Sunday we had Celtic versus uh, Motherwell at Fur Park um, first half I thought Motherwell deserved a one nil lead um, I thought the goal itself from Blusbittle was was outstanding Terrific little turn from uh, Lennon Miller. 
to set up Blissbottle and he's got that quality, um, Blissbottle, to just pick pick a corner and find it because he'd done it a few weeks ago um, against Ross County which scored two absolute screamers. So I know he's getting his locker. Um, and then in the second half, it was a, it was a completely different um, Celtic performance, I think. Motherwell tired a bit um, and sat back and didn't really have an outlet. They only had kind of Theo Bear isolated up top on his own and Celtic changed shape, changed personnel. Um, you've seen Kyoga come off at half-time and Ida come on and make an instant impact with a fantastic header. Um, a very un-Celtic-like goal um, which kind of galvanised them and pushed them on and they managed to grab two stoppage time um, goals at Fark Park. Um, it's not the first time it's happened this season where Celtic leave it very late um, at Fark Park because obviously the start of the season uh, Lewis Palmer and then O'Reilly scored two goals and uh, added time. But this time it was Ida getting his second so that's his now um, his fourth goal for Celtic and um, only his third start. Um, and he's, he's looking to be a pretty good signing on loan um, and by himself he's already won Celtic um, six points so it could be crucial coming into the season I think it could be a turning point for Celtic because it looked as if the game was dead and buried um, because it wasn't a vintage dis- display but they're putting up three points and they make sure that gap, is cut, that gap is cut back to two points because if it went to four or five you kind of fear that the title race would be over um, although there's still 11 games to play and uh, obviously uh, two Glasgow derbies to play as well and I think the other result for me has got to be the one at the foot of the table where it's um, Ross County 3, Livingston 2 um, Ross County went to an early 2-0 lead through Eamon Brophy back for injury uh, proving his quality yet again, uh, two fantastic finishes and then Livingston uh, managed to find a way back at the game at 2-2 but the last kick of the game they, they're sucker punched by uh, Josh Sims um, and that'll be a, a kick in the teeth for David Martindale um, because that's their closest rivals and that's now that was, this match was billed as a six-pointer because Ross County is just above Livingston in the league table but that, now they've, got, they've stretched that lead even further and uh, Livingston will be caught adrift a little bit more so it's going to make Livingston's life a lot more difficult in the, the SBL season. Uh, and it, you kind of find it hard to see Livingston surviving a season because if they if they had any chance, they had to win this match and they failed to do so. But you can take positives from the fact that they were 2 0 down and they came back to 2 2. And usually you keep fighting to the end because you just never know. Still 11 games to play, but it's a massive blow in terms of Livingston's survival hopes. But in terms of Ross County, Gives them a little bit of distance and a little bit of breathing space. Yeah, <clears throat> um, my standout match is that match you just talked about, the Limston three, uh, sorry, Ross County three, Limston two match. Uh, I talked about it a little bit last week in the podcast about how massive the match was. Uh, it was basically a six-pointer. Uh, and the fact that Ross County have come out of that winners, they scored in the last minute as well. Uh, so the fact that they've come out of that winners uh, gives them a bit of breathing space. And then for Livingston, you know, that, that that gap between the bottom side and the second bottom side has grown even bigger now. I felt Livingston, they just couldn't afford to lose the match. And the fact they did, um, you know, it's they're, they're in deep, deep trouble now, in my opinion. Uh, 
I struggle to find a case for them to get out of this kind of uh, last position they're in. Um, because from now until the end of the season, they're going to have to basically try and win every match, which is going to be really difficult. Um, so that was a massive match. Um, and it's my standout match in the weekend just because of the fact Worst County, they were 2-0 as you said. Livingston got back into the match. Uh, and then Ross County went to sucker punch Livingston in the end and scored the last minute. So that's my standout match from the weekend. Uh, and then in terms of the title race, uh, you know, Rangers 5 Hearts 0. An absolutely massive win for Rangers that was. Uh, you know, Rangers and Hearts were the most two for most uh, the, the two most informed teams in Europe, I think it was, getting into that match. I think Hearts were the most informed team in Europe getting into that match. I think only them and Inter Milan were the two most informed teams. So Hearts were getting into that full of confidence. But Rangers probably paid, played their best game of the season. Uh, and they blew away Hearts. Uh, you know, they were just on it from minute one. Rangers, they scored very early on. And Hearts just didn't recover at all. Um, and Rangers are, are just in such a good place at the moment. Scoring goals for fun. Uh, you know, keeping clean sheets as well. Uh, they've got Cyril Dessa scoring lots of goals. And then the two... Uh, signings Diamandi and Cortez, as you said, uh, they're doing really well. They've come in and started really well. And then obviously Celtic, uh, who played on the Sunday, uh, in the first half they were really, really poor. Uh, Murrowell went into that uh, half time 1 0 up, and everyone's thinking, oh, that's the the title kind of wrapped up because uh, cause Celtic were just terrible. Uh, they were really poor in the first half. Um, but in the second half, they were much better. Uh, you know, uh, Ben Rogers took off Kyogo and brought Adam Bede on, and he made Celtic much better. And he got two goals, and then they also brought on the the winger Yang, who made a good impression as well. And so, at the end of the day, there's still a title race in Scotland. Uh, it just seems to me at the moment that Celtic sort of just hanging in there. Uh, you know, there just doesn't seem to be any consistency with them at the moment. Where Rangers are just lying. Uh, so it is, as I said, it is really exciting. Um and yeah, there's still a two point gap. Uh, I just wanted to do for just touching on Celtic players. I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the fact that Joe Hart announced last week that he was going to retire at the end of the season. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. What do you think? Yeah, it's caused a bit of a shock because I think he's <laughs> in a probably poor Celtic season to for their high standards. Um, I think he's probably one of the standout performers, although he gets a lot of critics with the ball at his feet. But I think in terms of short stop ability, I think he's he's right up there. Um, and I think he's had a really good season where he's kept Celtic in games at times this season, and made some really crucial saves at key times and in, in matches. Um, and I still feel as if he could have a lot to offer Celtic, but I think maybe he wants to go out in a high where he feels as if he's performing at his level best. It remains to be seen well whether whether they can finish the season with one or two trophies or, or potentially zero trophies. But um with his experience, um you see you seen it on Sunday as well. Um at one one, uh, Lennon Muller had the header in the second half and he makes a crucial fingertip save over the bar. Um so his reflexes and that are still there. And I think as a shortstop and goalkeeper, I think he's he's outstanding. Um, and at 37 years of age I think he still has a lot to offer but it's up to him um, he's made his decision I think Celtic will now have to they've now got now they've got time now until the end of the season 
and uh, to before they started pre season to find a new a new first choice goalkeeper. But um, it'll be some some uh, some gloves to fill because I think it's going to be a big shoes to fill. Um, uh, because as you've seen when when Craig Gordon left Celtic, um, they brought in Vasilis Barkas for five million pounds, and he was probably the biggest flop you've ever seen. Um, because I th- I think his shot stop ability was was n- null and void. Um. And that coincided with uh, Rangers having someone like Alan McGregor in between the sticks and having the best defence, and that allowed Rangers to then have a platform to go and win the league title uh, under Steven Gerrard. So I think having a goalkeeper and a solid back line has a lot of confidence, and you've seen that as well with the return of Carter Vickers at the weekend for Celtic, so it makes him a bit more solid. But as we well touched on Joe Hart, I think phenomenal career, Um I think he's really underappreciated in terms of how he how he was conducted and how he performed in the Premier League for Manchester City and for the England national team. Um and I think he'll be he'll be welcome back up in Scotland anytime because I think for, for Celtic he's been an outstanding servant to the club since Ange Postcoggle brought him back in, in at the age of thirty four and virtually resurrected his career when it looked on free fall. And he's been a fin- fantastic uh, servant for the club and I think he's been a tremendous signing. Um and like you say, you look at Jack Bottom the crosses for Rangers, when you're a good goalkeeper, it's a good platform for you to go and get consistent results. And I think with Joe Hart in between the sticks, it's that that's that that's the case. So it's gonna be interesting to see who is his replacement. Yep, yeah, uh, I was probably a little bit surprised. I didn't expect Joe Hart to come out and say I didn't expect that at all actually. Um but uh, 37 years old nowadays for a goalkeeper is pretty young to be, thought, to be honest uh, I thought he could have went on for a couple more years but he's made a decision and uh, you know you can't blame him for that because he's he's had a brilliant career he's been England number one you know he's won the Premier League with Man City um, you know he's played World Cups uh, you know um, and uh, he, he's come to Celtic a couple of years ago and he's been a really really good signing for Celtic Um you know, being a really strong solid keeper for them. He's won trophies here as well. Um and as you said, you know, at the weekend he actually played pretty well for Celtic, you know, made some made some really big saves. So he's still a really good goalkeeper, but he has to sign it in the season to retire. Um, you know, I don't think you can blame him for it at all. You know, it's at the end of the day it's up to him. Um but yeah, he's had a brilliant career and it'll be interesting to see what he does next because um you know, I still think he has a lot to offer. I could actually see him in the coaching role. Uh, he just seems to me the kind of guy that could be coaching, but uh, you never know. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, uh, surprised, but, um, you know, uh, good luck to him when uh, he does finally uh, hang up his gloves. So, for the final part of the show, Pierce will now give his Asian football roundup. Yeah, so we had um, the start of um, the G League one. Um, so on Friday the 23rd day February we had two matches we had San Fritz Hiroshima 2 kicking off the first game so they won 2-0 against Uwarari Diamonds and I've done a match report on the Football Tube website so go check that out um, it was a fantastic game uh, where um, yeah the home side get the, the opening uh, win opening day win so Nagoya Grampus 0 Cash Rentlers 3 and then Saturday the 24th of February we had Jubilo Owata um, newly promoted side, losing at home to the reigning champions, Vassil Kobe 2-0. Avispa Fukuoka 0, Oikuro Constable Sapporo 0, 
Uh, Saga 2, so 1. Albrecht Negata 2. Uh, Cerezo Saka 2. FC Tokyo 2. Newly promoted side Machida Zelvia gets her first point uh, with a 1-1 draw against Gambo Osaka. And then Shona Belmere 1, Kawasaki Frontali 2. And then Sunday, the 25th of February, we had Kawashiri so 1, Kyoto Sanga FC 1. And then another, the, the third newly promoted side, Tokyo Verde, back at home stadium. Um, they lost 2-1 to Yokama F. Manos, were two late goals. Saw Harry Kuehl, um new new manager of Yokama F. Manos, get his first victory as their coach. So it leaves the table like this. So at the top of the table, we have six sides joint top on three points, only separated by goal difference. We've kept Cav Shetlers at top, second, Sanfichi Roshma, third, Vassil Kobe, fourth, Albrecht Nagata, fifth, Kawasaki Frontali, and sixth, we have Yokohama F. Manos. And at the bottom half of the table, we have Sagan Tuso on 15th, Shuron Bermain 16th, 17th, we have Tokyo Verde, 18th, Jubilo Awata. 19th Ura Diamonds and 20th at the foot of the table Nagoya Grampus all set by goal difference and have all failed to pick up a single point on the opening day early on in the Japanese league season but it's exciting to have it back and get a lot to look forward to in terms of um, this weekend coming up um, so it's the start of the K-League 1 match day 1 fixtures so on Friday the 1st of March uh, we'll have Ulsan HD FC versus Pohang Steelers that's set for 2pm kickoff, and then we have John Buck Hyundai Motors versus Dejan Hannah Citizen. That's set for a 4.30 kickoff. And then Saturday, um, the 2nd of March, we have Guangzhou FC versus FC Seoul. And that's 2pm kickoff, and we'll see the, the debut of potentially Jesse Lingard in the K League 1. So that's exciting times there. Um, and there could be a, a match that I could be going to the match in terms of the John Book game. On Friday, or I could be going to the Guangzhou game to see um, Lingard play. So, well, we'll have a match report out for you this weekend as well. So, Gangwon FC is also playing on Saturday, the 2nd of March. So, they play, they host Jed United, and that's a 4 30 kickoff. And then, Engine United host Suwon FC, and that's also a 4 30 kickoff. And then, the final match day um, is Daegu FC versus Gimchon Sangmu on Sunday, the 3rd of March, and that's set for a 2 pm kickoff. Yeah, so the KFA have officially announced the name of the FA Cup will now be changed to Korea Cup. Starting from the 2024 season, the final will be a single match and it will be held at the Seoul World Cup Stadium. Um, the KFA have announced that the Korea Cup winning team must finish in the top four of the Key League One um, to qualify for the AFC Champions League Elite. Um, if the Korea Cup winning team doesn't finish the top four, they will automatically qualify for the AFC Champions League two. So Samurai Blue legend Shinzi Shinzi Okazaki, um, Japan's third highest goal scorer ever with fifty goals, announces he will be retiring at the end of the season. Uh, Okazaki, thirty-seven, joined Leicester City in the summer of twenty fifteen, and scored five goals in the debut season. Um, to help the club defy the odds and win the Premier League under Italian manager Claudio Ranieri. Um, the Japan international now plays in Belgium with St Truden. Injuries have restricted Okazaki to just five appearances for St Truden in the Jupiler Pro League this season and he has not played a single uh, match since the 16th of December. And this is what Okazaki's had to say on, on his um, plans to retire. I've given my all as a footballer 
up until now, when I realised that my body was failing, ap falling apart, I naturally felt I reached my limits. Shinji Okazaki to third on Japan's all-time scoring list, registering 50 goals in 119 appearances, and he was part of the Japan team that won the Asian Cup back in 2011. He is also featured for his country at three major World Cups. He started his career in his homeland with Shim Shimizu S. Pulse, before moving across Europe to sign for Bundesliga club Stuttgart in 2011. After a two-year spell um, with German side Mainz between 2013 and 2015, Leicester City came calling and he featured 36 times in a title-winning campaign. Okazaki left Leicester when his contract expired at the end of the 2018-2019 season and he joined Spanish side Malaga on a free transfer. Um, however, his deal was cancelled after just 34 days before he'd even played a game with the club unable to pay his wages. Okazaki has since featured for Spanish side Huesca in Cartagena, um, with Okazaki now at Belgian side St. Truden, but with injuries restricting him to just five appearances so far this term, he has now decided to announce his retirement. So Tom, I just want to briefly touch on Okazaki. What do you remember him as, as a player and what do you think of his in, uh, impending retirement? Yeah, uh, I thought he was a really good player. Uh, you know, he had a really good time in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, he did really well there. Then he went to Leicester. Uh, I don't think he cost a lot of money for Leicester. Um, actually, it could have been a free transfer. I can't really remember. But, I mean, we all know the story about Leicester when the Premier League and he came. Uh, and he was, I mean, a brilliant signer for Leicester. And, you know, he did really well over there at Leicester. Uh, you know, was part of the uh, Premier League one side. Uh, you know, scored some crucial goals for them. Um, thought he was a really, really good player. Uh, you know, he's had a really good career. And, uh, yeah, uh, good luck to him and whatever he does when he, now, now that he's retired. Well said, Tom. Well said, mate. Uh, so the KFA have announced that um, they've appointed Huang Sun Hong as interim manager of the South Korean national team um, at, um, in March. Um, Huang will return to the under-23 team after and uh, finish a job with the A-team in March. And the KFA plan to announce the permanent new manager of South Korea national team following Klinsman's sacking um, in May. So a lot to look forward to in terms of the South Korea um, national team uh, position. So the attendance requirement to be eligible to join the J-League 3 has been updated. Clubs must now achieve an average attendance of 2,000 people um per match and have now and have an annual gate receipts of above ten million Japanese yen, which roughly translates to fifty two thousand pounds four hundred and eighty eight pounds sixty four pence to be precise. And that's all your latest Asian football news. Thank you, Pierce, and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Tribute Podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Tribute YouTube channel and also the Football Tribute website. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye.